0: The Mission publishes the number one newsletter for accelerated learning. Learn from the best and brightest by joining our community at themission.co forward slash subscribe. On this episode of The Mission Daily, CEO and co-founder of Lambda School, Austin Allred joins our show to discuss affordable education and why schools need to focus more on job placement. We hope you enjoyed the episode.
1: Why don't you give us a quick intro? Name, what you do, who you are, and tell us a little bit about what, you, what you're doing at Lambda School.
0: So my name is Austin Allred. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Lambda School. At Lambda School, we train people to be software engineers in live online classes for free in exchange for a share of people's future income for two years. So basically, we're trying to... Create a world class job enabling education and make it accessible to everybody at no upfront cost.
1: It's super interesting. But before we get into all of that, I want to get into a little bit of your background. Tell me about your education experience, your entrepreneurial experience. What made you who you are right now?
0: Yeah. So I grew up in Utah, kind of, I went to. School at BYU for a couple semesters and then ended up dropping out. Just had a pretty miserable experience there. But my whole life uh, have been kind of in and around tech and computers and the internet. So, yeah, eventually wound up, there's a lot of in between time, but wound up at a lending company in San Francisco called LendUp, working on the growth team there. And before we moved to San Francisco, we were living in rural Utah. So going back and forth between San Francisco and rural Utah just was kind of bothered by the discrepancy in opportunity. So in in San Francisco we'd be throwing out, you know, $10,000 referral bonuses for a software engineer and then I'd go back to my friends back home and say, you know, go study something, become a software engineer and there's big money on the other side and they'd say that's, you know, too expensive, too much risk, I can't afford it. So we really started Lambda School to solve that problem of how how you can get a high quality, you know, job enabling education to folks that wouldn't otherwise be able to afford it.
1: It's funny that you dropped out of school. Maybe that's not it's not funny. It's funny that you dropped out of school but then wound up making education your kind of career, this thing that you're doing full-time now. Tell me a little bit about what you originally planned for yourself and and how it morphed into what it is now. I you, you touched on it a little bit, but did you ever envision yourself as somebody like running a school or an education enterprise the way that you're doing?
0: No, not at all. I mean, I I always thought that surely there would be somebody who would fix this problem who is more qualified or who is a teacher or, you know, who has a background in academia, something like that. Eventually just got pretty frustrated and realized that no one was actually going to solve it. So I, you know, I look at things from You know, from being at the lending company, I think a lot in financial terms and especially in terms of risk, because that's what being at a lending company is all about. And just realize that it's way too much risk for the average person to go to a school that, you know, there are very few people who can afford the risk to go to a a code school or to learn to be a computer scientist or to be a software engineer. So, you know, I knew pretty early on when we started Lambda School that I would have to bring in the people who are real experts in instructional design and teaching, but eventually I just kind of realized that nobody else was going to solve the problem, so I might as well take a shot at it.
1: And what was the process like of of building this? How did you make it
0: work? Yeah, so my background is in kind of growth and marketing So I partnered up with a co-founder who was a a teacher at a code school, and we kind of just started saying, you know, let's get something off the ground that's online. The first obstacle was how do you make a school work that's entirely online? Because there aren't very many people that do that, at least synchronously. You know, so we wanted it to be live and interactive, not pre-recorded video. We wanted you to have a relationship with the students and with the instructor, So we started out just a paid upfront code school that was online. And that was pretty much the entirety of the vision in the early days. We just wanted to do a really good job. In doing so, we found a couple things. The first was that it's just really hard to do a good job in 12 weeks, which is the length of most code schools. And if you go longer, you know, we always really wanted to do a school that was six months long, but you can't get enough people to pay you enough to you know, fund that. So you'd have to charge something like $20,000 in tuition. Not very many people have $20,000. So just as we were trying to figure out how to make everything work the best way for the student, what their needs were, what their risk appetite was, what the actual needs of the employers were on the other side, we eventually found our way to the model that we have today.
1: And tell me about what kind of feedback you got from those original classes, from those original students, and how that helped you build what you wanted to build?
0: Yeah, so we would teach to kind of drum up interest for the main class. um, We would teach free classes online that were, you know, a month long. And we would have 7,000 people in those classes. So I just started basically emailing everybody saying, hey, why, you know, why won't you join us? Why won't you pay us $10,000? And everybody basically said, You know, I don't have ten thousand dollars to spend, or you know, if I could, I'm not really going to risk it with this new school that I'm not familiar with because if it doesn't work out, then I'm in a whole lot of trouble. So we, you know, realized that it was the risk for students. They they're happy to pay for it after they get a job, but they don't have the money right now and they can't afford the risk. So you know, we. We sent out an email that said, you know, all right, we have one spot left in one of our cohorts. If you'll pay us $1,000 up front instead of the normal $10,000, then you don't have to pay us the rest until you get a job. And where normally we would kind of get five applications in response to an email, we got 150. Wow. So that that's when we realized, okay, you know, we're onto something. Then as we played around with the model a little bit, figured out how to go to six months, you know, charging $20,000 up front, but got a few people to pay for that. And then you could say for everybody else, it's going to be free until you get a job and then we'll take a percentage of income. So you could choose one or the other. And when we sent that email out, we had 2000 people apply. So it was pretty clear pretty early on that that was the key. But it turns out that offering that is the easy part. Making it actually work is is the the more difficult part. It's easy to (laughs) give away a free education. It's more hard to to make it work.
1: That's what my next question was. How do you make it work? How do you make sure that Lambda school students are different from traditional students? How do you make sure that they are more successful than anybody else?
0: Yeah, I, I think there are, are a few things that play into that. The first is that every other code school is really battling for the attention of the very few people that have $10,000 to spend. And I think that's a tiny, tiny fraction of the market. So when you open it up to everybody, you can find the folks that are a little more hungry, a little more willing, that just you know are perfectly capable, just haven't had the opportunity. And then the other thing is you know, those incentives just force you to make a really, really good school. Some of that stuff is subtle in the instructional design has to be good enough that people will show up and learn how to code and not drop out. The admissions process has to filter for people that are actually dedicated and interested, not just excited about the idea of having a new job. They have to be willing to put in the work and we have to filter for that. And then, you know, we have a full team of career coaches and salespeople reaching out to companies on behalf of our students saying, hey, please come. I know you're hiring engineers and you need engineers. Consider people that don't have CS degrees and don't have the traditional path and Come come, meet our students and let us show you what they're capable of. So now, you know, about a third of the jobs that students are landing after Lambda School are jobs that Lambda School itself has found for them. And I think that that trend will continue to the point where the vast majority of jobs will be, you know, something that Lambda School has sourced. And, you know, in an ideal world, a couple of years from now, all of the students are hired before they graduate because we have great relationships with employers along the way.
1: For sure. Obviously, this is kind of a coding school. Technology has a lot to do with what, you, what you're what you doing. How has technology made all of this possible? And how are you adapting to new technologies as you go along?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think even if you tried to start Lambda School three years ago, I'm not sure it would be possible. And that sounds kind of crazy because, you know, the internet's been around for a long time. But the availability of high-speed internet and video conferencing technology and synchronous communication has come so far in the last few years that it's really made all of this possible without having to... If you're going to start Lambda School 10 years ago, you'd have to start by building video chat from the ground up. <laughs> yeah. And that's a really <laughs> difficult thing to build. There are big multi-billion dollar companies that just do really incredible, really full-featured video chat. And then they have APIs that you can tie into to gather data and all that stuff. So we definitely have had to build a lot of software, but I don't think it would be possible to do it well five years ago back before you know some of the new technology started existing.
1: What gives you the confidence and who on your team gives you the confidence to know that what you're providing is helpful and useful? Like, What backs up what you guys are doing? What are your credentials that you think stand out to the people who apply to Lambda School?
0: Yeah. So so there are kind of two sides that we have to solve for. Mm -hmm. And we think about the employer side kind of first when we're deciding what our curriculum and what our student body should look like. So we have advisory committees of a bunch of hiring companies. We go to them, we we take our curriculum, they approve the curriculum, but but more importantly we go to them and say, when you're hiring somebody, what what attributes, what traits, what skills does that person need to have? And we build backwards from what they're looking for into a curriculum. So I kind of think of it as a company wants to custom order students. They want to say, I need somebody that can do, you know, this and this and this and has these traits and will work like this and this. And then it's our job as a school to help people become those folks that that company would like to hire. So that's, I think that, and interestingly, solving that equation for the employer also solves it for the student because what a student really wants is a career. They want a job and they want to feel confident that when they come to Lambda School, we can get them a job on the other side. Of course, in the middle, you know, of our staff I think we have two thirds so about 26 people that are full time working on curriculum and instruction and teaching basically. So we, you know, that is the, I don't want to say the most difficult part, but that's the most important part of, you know, how do you get people from point A to point B? And I think, you know, at the end of the day, students see that and they hear about it and they see our commitment to quality and our commitment to employable, hireable students. And that, that resonates and that helps get them, bring them in.
1: Tell me, what does a typical Lambda student look like? Is there a typical student? I think when you think of a college student, there's this very archetypal person that you think of, but I'm not sure that a Lambda student fits into that archetype. So why don't you describe what a Lambda student is?
0: Yeah, that, that is definitely true. Um, we we have a pretty broad spectrum that we deal with. So our average student in the early days was kind of early 30s, has had a career but wants to switch career paths. Um, about half had a degree of some sort, half didn't. So it was generally folks a little bit later on in their career. I think the you know a couple weeks ago we had someone who was 45 change careers and moved to software engineering. We've had 18, 19 year olds do the same. We're finding now that as we as we become more well-known, we kind of shift and skew a little bit younger. So we're seeing a lot more people drop out of college and come to Lambda or go to Lambda instead of going to college, as opposed to, you know, in the early days, it was largely people who were already on career trajectories trying to shift. And I think we can handle both of those. So, yeah, it's basically a pretty broad spectrum and you can divide them into two buckets i guess mid-career switchers and then folks that are pre-career
1: it's interesting that you you have this this kind of range and i think it's becoming more and more common for people to seek out new skills and to kind of be a lifelong learner and I think that Lambda School, along with the like coding boot camps that you talked about, are offering more those kind of avenues. What other kind of trends or developments do you see happening in the education field where things like that are becoming more common? What have you seen recently that is exciting to you in education that you think might catch on next?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think... I'm seeing a few things, all of which are pretty healthy. So the first is a move toward risk sharing. Mm-hmm. So I think students are more and more hesitant to pay money up front. Uh, I spent the last couple of weeks talking to a lot of university administrators and college admins, and pretty universally they agree that there is kind of a, an historic trend of attrition more people are not coming back for their sophomore, junior, senior years than they have in the past. So I think colleges generally are trying to figure out where students are going and what they're doing and why they're leaving. And I think students are more and more hesitant to spend money up front and to take more risk. Like when, when I went to college, Nobody ever questioned the idea of getting a degree, taking out whatever loans it took and paying it back on the other side. I I literally never had one conversation about that um, (laughs) before or while I was in college. And now I think that's very much the reverse. It's very much on people's minds. They're very well aware of the cost of college and the risk that you're taking and the fact that you can't declare bankruptcy on student loans and... I think as a society, we've just become more aware of the, the cost of college.
1: And so you saw this problem and you found a way to fix it. How much pride do you take in being able to do something like that and provide this opportunity for people that didn't have it before? I mean, that's a really cool thing that you've been able to do.
0: I mean, it's really fun. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> um, it's It's pretty wild to see people go from making... Twenty five thousand a year to making eighty thousand dollars a year. That's a significant change, and especially when you know you're going from there to you know you know that that's the entry level salary, and it's just going to keep going up and up. That's incredibly rewarding. The difficult part is just making it all sustainable, making sure that we can be around and doing that and growing for forever.
1: Yeah, for sure, and which leads me beautifully to my next le- next question. How does Lambda School grow from here? What do you want to do next? Where do you see it going? What innovations are you excited about or do you want to pursue?
0: Yeah, so I think the most important thing for us right now is building out our hiring network. We've got a small team that's doing outreach to hiring companies. We want to extend it from where it is now to where we have call it a dozen people working on reaching out to companies, making sure that every company knows we exist, that every company is hiring from Lambda School students. And I think the students will see a lot of value in that. At the same time, we had about 1,000 students that started or will start in 2018. And we're planning on about 3,000 in the US in 2019. And then in January of 2019, we're opening in Europe. So that's kind of the next six months is just growth and opening up new countries. And then from there we'll start playing a little bit with other verticals and hopefully we can start playing a little bit more with kind of living stipends and subsidized housing and and stuff like that to allow more people to participate.
1: Obviously you guys have had success and it's been amazing. What has been the biggest challenge you've faced so far? What's been one thing that's caused you the most trouble that you maybe weren't expecting or that you were expecting, but you figured out a way to get around it?
0: It's funny. One of the biggest problems we've had has been that students from a lower income background can kind of plan financially to make it to graduation, but the day graduation is over, they're out of money basically mm-hmm. so they need to find another job they need to go do something else and the job search portion of getting a job is still really difficult so we're trying to solve that by making that happen earlier we're trying to solve that by having you know career coaches and we have a program called Lambda Next that is a full-time fully supported job searching program where you know we have career coaches and engineers looking over your shoulder, making sure you're applying to the right places in the right way, that you're reaching out in the right way. So you're not just sending your application into a black hole. You know, they're reviewing resumes and portfolios and helping you present yourself as a capable software engineer better. But if you're a lower income student that needs a job two weeks after graduation, it's just really tight to make that work. So we're, I think that's our main problem right now is how can we make sure people are supported well enough that they can actually go through the work that it takes to get a job. Almost for everybody, it's still not instant. It doesn't happen overnight unless you know we can help them get that searching done in advance somehow. So that's that's our main problem and frustration right now is the 10 to 15% of students that just can't afford to look for a job. That's really hard.
1: Yeah. It's hard, but you guys keep going. And I wanted to know, I wanted to ask you, what was your biggest initial success? That that moment where you thought, wow, this could really work. This could really happen. We could really make a difference.
0: I think it happened when our first few students got hired by top tier folks. So, you know, we had a lot of students get hired really quickly, but it was still like, yeah, we can train software engineers, but we can't train them for Google, Uber, Amazon, that kind of thing. And now we've had students hired at at all the above. We have students at Google. We have students at Amazon. We have students at Uber. So it was was when, you know, and really when companies that were hesitant to talk to code bootcamp grads would hire somebody and then come back and say, oh my gosh, can we hire 12 more? Can we hire 50 more? I think the biggest number, biggest request we've had is can we hire a thousand more? that's when you know that it's really working, when the employers are loving the product and they want to double down. And at the end of the day, that's where the dollars come from, even though it's via the students. If the employers are happy, then the students are happy and we're happy.
1: All right, so big goals. What is the biggest goal for Lambda School? Where do you want Lambda School to be five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now? How do you want people to look at Lambda School?
0: Yeah, so there are a couple of things that I keep coming back to some of which are, I get made fun of because they seem so ambitious. (laughs) And then some that are still ambitious, but less ambitious. So the the two goals that I keep in the back of my mind is we want to create a thousand millionaires that wouldn't have otherwise been millionaires. So that looks like moving people's income significantly when they're younger and then helping them have the personal finance wherewithal to know how to invest and save and then the other is, you know, maybe it's not tomorrow. Maybe it's 10 years from now. Maybe it's 20 years from now. I don't know. But we want to have a million students all get jobs. So that would be not only in the U.S. probably. It would be all over the world. But that's the, the watermark I keep in the back of my mind is how do we get to a million students?
1: That's awesome. All right. We always end every interview with a lightning round. Some quick rapid fire questions. How do you feel? You ready for this? yeah all right first one what are you reading what book have you read lately that you've enjoyed that you would recommend
0: oh man let me pull out my phone and look at my kindle (laughs) app real quick love it let's see softwar um, a book about larry ellison i am reading the high growth handbook by elad gill big debt crises by ray dalio let's see i'm not who is michael ovitz that one's really good autobiography of Benjamin Franklin, a novel called Cherry. That one's really interesting. Anyway, I read, I'm one of those people that reads 10 pages at a time in like 20 different books and never finishes anything. <laughs> but, but yeah.
1: You, you read a lot. You're like our, uh, our CEO, Chad, who's with you. He reads more than anybody I've ever met. He's crazy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yep. I, I definitely read a lot.
1: All right. What about podcasts? Are you a podcast guy? Do you listen to podcasts?
0: Um, I do. I mostly listen for people. So I, you know, search for specific guests as opposed to mm-hmm. shows. I mean, I've, I've listened to Serial. I've listened to some of that stuff. My favorite podcasts are probably the, the Farnham Street podcast. And then I like Tyler Cowen's podcast mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, that's um, good. But really, I'll, I'll listen to whoever's interviewing the guests that I find interesting.
1: Who are the guests usually veer towards? Like what what who do you find interesting?
0: I listen to a lot of different tech CEOs and investors and, and that kind of thing. And then economists and finance people. I spend a lot of time in the world of tech and the world of money. Those are probably my where I spend a lot of my time thinking and reading.
1: You should check out the Missions IT Visionaries. Ask uh, Ian about that. <laughs> we have a really cool I'll podcast. I'll check it you might out. enjoy. Yeah, it uh, sounds good. All right. What about, what about music? What playlist do you listen to? Artists? Who's who's on, who's jamming in your headphones?
0: Oh, music. Um, let me open Spotify. <laughs> um, you are a tech so guy, I feel for like, sure. <laughs> yeah, I feel like when I like... Got married. I stopped listening to music as much. Well, I, I I didn't stop listening to music. I stopped like finding new music. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of stuck on like the same artists I had five years ago, and I don't <laughs> know of a good solution for that. Let's see. The most recent ones I listen to are Youth Lagoon. They're mm-hmm. not really around anymore, but I like them. Big Sufjan Stevens fan, and I've been listening to a lot of rap lately. So Kendrick Lamar, Big Sean, mm-hmm. kind of the. More popular rappers. Yeah, Um Earl yeah. Sweatshirt is another favorite. Nice, I really like Earl cool. Sweatshirt.
1: Awesome. All right. What is your go-to snack or guilty pleasure?
0: I was a ridiculous Coke Zero drinker, and I have cut back on that. So I'm finding myself replacing it with a whole lot of things that may actually be worse. Um, <laughs> my favorite right now is is chicken wings. I will eat chicken wings all day, every day.
1: Nice. Okay. Holiday season's coming up. What's your favorite holiday or holiday tradition?
0: Definitely Christmas. I like hanging out with family. I've got a wife and two kids, and we'll go back to to Utah and spend a lot of time with family around the holidays. And uh, just kind of, we always go for a skiing trip. We always mess around with razors and four wheelers and sleds and stuff like that. Just hanging out with the family.
1: Okay. So, what inspires you?
0: The thing that inspires me the most are founders doing incredible things. So I'd love, you know, I'm a huge Elon Musk fan, despite his flaws. Amazon, just looking at some of the, you know, I think companies are where a lot of the best inventions and creations are happening in this day and age. So I, I obsess over biographies of founders and people doing unreasonable things really inspires me.
1: And last question what is the best piece of advice you've ever been given or a piece of advice you would like to leave the audience with?
0: So I still think about this all the time. When I was 15 or 16, for some school project, I'd emailed some NASA astronaut and asked to interview him. And I'm sure he you know, was bothered all the time. But he, <laughs> I think because I took the initiative and I was a little punk kid, he, he took the time out. Um, and I asked him a similar question, like, what Okay, I'm 14 or however old I was. What would be the one piece of advice that you would give me? And what he said was find the thing that you're most interested in and get to the center of wherever that's happening. And I think about that a lot. You know, for me, what's really exciting is tech and finance and how they come together to kind of change things and getting to the center of where that happened was joining a company that was doing all that stuff in Silicon Valley. And I spent a lot of time in New York as well. But I think that advice was really interesting. Find whatever you're most passionate about and get in the middle of it somehow.
1: That's awesome. I love it. Austin, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate you taking the time out and all the work that you're doing at Lambda School. And I wish you the best of luck with everything going forward.
0: Okay. Sounds good. Thanks so much for having me. The Mission Studios creates custom media for world-class companies like Salesforce, Twilio, Katera, and more. To connect with our team of creatives, you can reach us at infothemission.co.
1: Hey, listeners. Thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word, and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.